One day I was reading the daily obituaries in the newspaper, and to my surprise, I read my brother-in-law's name. Now, I want to say to you, that will really get your attention. When someone that you think is alive and well, their name appears in the obituaries. Now, it was not my brother-in-law, but a, a man with the same name who died at 46 years of age. And I decided to have some fun. So I clipped out the obituary and sent it to my brother-in-law with this letter. Uh, you heard no doubt about the man who said, rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. Well, I'm writing to make sure you are still alive since the obituary uh, bearing your name appeared in yesterday's paper. I wouldn't want to spread any false rumors. Actually, if I were you, I would frame this and thank God every year I have my birthday that I didn't die at 46. You know, someday our name will appear in the obituaries if the Lord does not come before then. Only we will not be able to read it, will we? Because we will be dead. And none of us know how soon that is going to be. I wonder in our two services today, a year from now, who will have passed away that are here this morning? Some of us, very possibly, could be dead a year from now. And you know, as I think about that, uh, the most important question that will be asked when we are dead and gone are not questions like these. How much money did we make? How impressive were we? Um, how many people knew us? How successful were we? Or even how long did we live? The most important question of all that we will face is, did we do God's will? Did we do God's will? Uh, read with me this verse in 1 John 2.17. Let's read it together. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. That's the most important question anyone can ever face. Did we do God's will? Now, if that's the most important question, then the second question that is so related to that is, how do we do God's will? And this morning, as we come to the final section of James chapter 4, which we've been looking at for a few weeks, James answers that very question. Uh, this morning, he brings to us a message that we could simply entitle, God's will versus my will. Now, you know, of all the New Testament books, James is the one that is in the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament. James very much reminds us of Proverbs, and he reminds us of the Psalms. And today, he shares with us the, the foolish path towards the will of God, and the wise path. 
And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4 again today. And we are going to look at verses 13 through 17. Let's take a moment, shall we, and ask the Lord to be our teacher. Father, you saved us for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is that we might do your will. Uh, Jesus said we are to pray that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know, Lord, your will is perfectly done in heaven. It's very imperfectly done on earth. And if it is going to be done at all, it will be done by the people who are called by your name. Help us today to be unreservedly, totally sold out to doing God's will each and every day. Show us how from your blessed word, for Jesus' sake, amen. Notice with me verse 13. And this is what we might call the foolish option. It is planning life without God. And notice what James says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, what James is doing here is he is giving us a little snapshot of his original readers. Uh, Some in his congregation were businessmen, and they were looking to make a profit. In the ancient world, Jewish merchants were spread all throughout the known world of Asia Minor and Greece. And these businessmen were like traveling salesmen. Uh, They would take their products to flourishing cities and they would attempt to make a profit. So if you owned olive groves, you would sell olive oil. If you owned vineyards, you would sell wine. If you raised sheep, you would sell wool or garments. And obviously, the more cities you could reach, the more buyers you could have. Now, we need to make a little caveat here. God is not condemning being successful in business. I'm sure that all of our business owners are grateful that I have said that. There's nothing wrong with an honest businessman trying to be successful in business. What is the problem here is these businessmen were ignoring God in their daily lives. Look at their decisions here in verse 13. It was their own time. They said today or tomorrow. It was their own place. They said this town or that town, such and such a town. It was their own duration. They said we'll spend maybe a year there. It was their own enterprise. They said we're going to trade, carry on business. And it was their own results. They determined that we're going to make a profit. Now you can begin to see what is going on here. All of these plans were made without thinking about God at all. God was left out of their lives. Do you know what happens when we live life like this? 
When we put our way instead of God's way, a couple of things happen. It inevitably leads to an arrogant life. Did you notice here in verse 13, the five we wills? Did you notice it? Count them. We will go. We will spend. We will trade. We will make a profit. And we will do it on the day that we decide, today or tomorrow. Can I ask you this morning, who does that sound like? Doesn't it sound like the I wills, the five I wills of Satan? Doesn't it? Remember just a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage as James told us to resist Satan, not to be like him. And remember we went to Isaiah 14 where we see Lucifer before he became Satan. And remember the five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And now here we have the same proud, boastful, look what I'm going to do attitude. In fact, drop down to verse 18 and, or verse 16 and notice what James says. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, he says about these people. All such boasting is evil. I learned a very important lesson here. When we are successful in life without God, someone has to take the credit, right? And we will be the ones to take that credit. You know, one of the sad things uh, about high school graduations today is God is left out in a way that He was not in the past. I remember when I was a youth pastor 37 years ago, I was invited to go and pray at the graduation of my alma mater where I graduated from high school. And it was the very first thing. And I remember standing in this vast auditorium, very much like the Barry Events Center, and acknowledging God from whom all blessings flow. But now God is left out. And who gets the credit at the graduation? The students do. Who gets all the praise? It doesn't go to God. It goes to the graduates. You realize how arrogant that is. It is arrogant when we live life as though God did not exist. Now there's a second thing that will happen. Uh, this kind of living will lead to a second thing. It will inevitably lead to a selfish life. Uh, did you notice here how in verse 13, the goal was to make money? That was the goal. It was to live the easy life. And when we plan without God, it inevitably will make us the center of our life, and it will lead to a selfish life. You know, as I think about this, it reminds me, when I was in high school, I had, I had a teacher who said that his entire goal in life was one day to live on Easy Street. And he was working two jobs. 
to make as much money as he could so that he could retire as early as possible, and then he was going to live on easy street. I thought to myself, what a goal for your life. What a goal for your life. I mean, we all have one life that has been given to us, and can you imagine the goal is to solely live the good life as your complete aim in life? Do you know one day, years later, after I graduated, I was riding around in my hometown? And can you believe this? I actually saw a street sign that said, Easy Street. (laughs) I thought, there really is an easy street. I wondered, is this where my old teacher is living? You know, many of my teachers are now dead. My English teacher is dead. My band instructor at 70 years of age is dead. Our most popular science teacher is now dead. Did they do the will of God? Did they? How foolish if they did not. That's the foolish way to approach life. Now, fortunately, James encourages us with the wise way. And he moves on from the foolish way to the wise option. And the wise option is planning life with God. Planning life with God. You know what verses 14 to 17 are? They are the answer to that elusive question, how can I live in God's will? Look at them with me. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now here is what James is calling for us in the wisdom tradition, the wise option, it is doing God's will, planning life with God. And I want you to notice that he answers this question, how do you live in God's will? Uh, Look at the answers he gives to us. Number one, we have to admit something. We have to admit that we need God's will. Verse 14 is telling us uh, why it is that we need to do the will of God. And as we think about this choice that that is in front of every one of us. Am I going to do God's will on this road of life, or am I going to do my will? Here are a couple of things everyone needs to take into serious consideration. Number one is this. Life is uncertain. James says in verse 14... You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Do you know what he's doing here? 
He is quoting a very central verse in the wisdom tradition of Proverbs, Proverbs 27.1. Let's read it together, all right? Notice what it says. Join me. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, what's a simple point? None of us know what's going to happen. Only God knows the future. Only God controls the future. Since we cannot determine our own success, we are dependent upon God for it. But here's what the Bible says. God only gives His direction, His guidance, His blessing to those who seek Him. A second reason why we need the will of God. James says to us, life is brief. He says our life, in verse 14, is like a mist. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. You know what this word mist was used of? It was used of breath on a cold morning. It was used of steam that rises off of a cup of coffee. How many of us had our our early morning coffee this morning? And how long did the steam rising off of your coffee last? Not very long. Not very long. Now James is saying, compared to eternity, that's what our lives are like. Our lives, compared to eternity, our lives are over suddenly, they are over quickly. It is absolutely foolish for us to plan like we control time because we could be facing God tomorrow. You know what my brother-in-law did after I sent him that obituary with my letter? He wrote me back. And this is what he said. Thanks for the obituary. There's no question that we need things like this to keep our lives in perspective. I'm well aware that life is short. The older you get, the more you notice this fact, particularly when you watch your kids grow up. We need to make the most of each moment. James would say that is exactly right. You know, Dr. Perry, who just retired from being our executive pastor in our district when he got cancer, he wrote a letter entitled Perfect Peace in the Face of Fear. And here's what Dr. Perry said. As believers, we should be living every day as if it is our last day. It could be our inevitable death or perhaps the glorious day that Jesus returns. The scripture says it will occur in a twinkling of an eye. Therefore, our lives should be lived with a sense of urgency. For tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And so we must admit we need the will of God if we're going to live wisely. Here's the second thing involved in determining the will of God for our lives. It is to submit. Submit to planning in God's will. Verse 15 says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live 
And we will do this or we will do that. Now, what verse 15 is doing is resuming the thought of verse 13. Did you notice, by the way, the tremendous contrast in attitudes? In verse 15, it's the Lord. He's in control. But in verse 13, it's we. I'm in control. In verse 15, it's if. He may have other plans. In verse 13, it's will. I have my plans. And in verse 15, it's this or that. He knows what is best. But in verse 13, it is make a profit. I know what is best. Brothers and sisters, I learned something very, very important here. Finding God's will is more an attitude of surrender than it is a method. Instead of three easy steps and you will be able to find the will of God, the key to the will of God is wanting God's will. It's very interesting in uh, Proverbs and Psalms, there is a very wonderful commentary on this very thing. Uh, Please join me and read Proverbs 16.3 and Psalm 37.4 and 5, and let's read together how it is that God guides His children. And will you notice here? It's more an attitude of surrender than it is a methodology. Now, there is method here, but it's the attitude that is really reflected. Let's read these verses together. Proverbs 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Psalm 37, 4 and 5, join me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. Now look at that Psalms passage, delight in the Lord. Make it your highest aim every single day to live to please Him. Do good. Every day, do what is right morally, ethically, and socially. Then commit your way to Him. Commit your life, your career, your activities to Him. You say, Lord, in all these things, you take control and then finally trust in Him. Keep believing that no matter what comes, He will give you His best and He will satisfy your life. Let me ask you, is this how you live every day? Is this how I live? This is how we plan with God. Now notice, thirdly, there has to be an action step, and that is commit. Commit to doing God's will. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him... It is sin. 
This is the classic text in the Bible on a type of sin that most people never consider. There are two categories of sin in the Bible. One is uh, sin includes the wrongs that we do. We call those sins of commission. So I shouldn't steal, so I don't. I shouldn't lie, so I don't. I shouldn't gossip, so I don't. Those are sins of commission. Verse 17 is not talking about sins of commission. It's talking about another category. Sin also includes the good that we fail to do. Sins of omission. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, those are sins of omission. For that person, that is sin. And this is a category of sin that we often fail to consider. Let me give us some examples. Maybe we don't lie. But we've never believed on Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Do you know? That's a sin of omission. You can be the nicest person in the world, but if you do not believe on Christ for your salvation, you will not do God's will. Or how about this one? We don't steal, but we don't worship God in church. Do you know? We can be the most honest person in the world. Everyone can call us. You know, that that person, you can trust them with your last dime. But if we do not worship God with the gathering of His people, we will miss God's will. I'm sure none of us here today have murdered. But maybe we don't give God our tithes and offerings. You know what that is? That's a sin of omission. You can be the kindest person alive, but if we're not generous towards God, we have missed God's will. Maybe we don't swear, but we don't find a place of ministry to others. That's a sin of omission. My mouth can be the cleanest mouth you have ever heard, but if I don't find a place of ministry to others, I have missed God's will. You see, there's something we have to do. We have to commit to doing God's will. You see, this is the wise way to live. It is planning life with God. Look at it. Admit, I need God's will. My life is very uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And my life is very brief. It's like a vapor. My, my father died at 92 years of age. You know, it's already been six years next week. Six years this week that he passed away. How fast time moves along. My mother, if she were alive, she would be 99 years old, 100 years old next March. She died at 87. 13 years already. How fast time moves. Then we have to submit. Submit to planning in God's will. And finally, commit to doing the things He has revealed are part of His will. Let me place before you again and before my eyes this proverb that James is basing his teaching on. 
Proverbs 27.1 Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let me just make a few applications. In light of this, it makes sense that we believe on Christ for our salvation. And I would just say to all of us here today, I don't know where you stand with the Lord, but if you are not sure that you have savingly believed on Christ for your salvation, you are here today and the offer is being given. And it makes sense to believe on Him as your Lord and Savior. You know, I know a pastor who at a rescue mission in my hometown was appealing to a man at the rescue mission to respond to Christ and trust Him as Savior. You know what that man said? That man said, I'm not ready to do that today. I'll think about that another day. The pastor said to him, what if you die? The man said, oh, I'm sure that won't happen. That very night, as he left the rescue mission, he stepped off a curb into the street, was hit by a car, and was killed that very night. Missed the will of God. It makes sense to believe on Christ while you still can. Second, it makes sense to deal with personal sin while you still can. I've been a pastor long enough to know that people will often come in for counseling and they have allowed sin to remain in their life, and they knew they should have dealt with it, but they have not. And then comes the inevitable day when it's too late and the damage is done. I sat across a a, a sort of a middle-aged couple one day, and, and they were living together unmarried. They were living in sexual sin. And the man rather flippantly said, I'm going to make things right when I'm ready. They left my office. A few weeks later, he accidentally ran through a stop sign, was broadsided, was killed instantly. The next time I saw him, I was having his funeral. And it was too late to deal with the sin he knew he should have dealt with. You know, in light of this, it makes sense to actively follow Christ while you still can. And isn't the key word there, actively? God wants us to be active followers of Jesus. He wants us to be involved in spiritual growth and in the lives of others and in ministry and in our local church. And it makes sense to actively follow Him while we still can. Years ago, there was a very uh, wonderful servant of the Lord. His name was Ed Lewis. He was receiving an honor for Christian ministry by, uh, by Cornerstone University. He traveled to Grand Rapids with his family from Indiana. And he was given this honor award. It was in the wintertime. On the way back home with his family in the car, they hit black ice and slid off. 
He got out of the car with his daughter. Another car stopped to help and call somebody. And another car came and hit that car, slammed it into their car. All three of the family members were injured. And Ed was killed. Hours. Hours after getting an award for his faithful Christian service, and abruptly his life ended at 47 years of age. He had no time to waste. He had no time to waste. What is God asking some of us to do? Do we need to get saved to do that? Do some of us need to get baptized and follow Jesus' command as it's given in the Great Commission? Do others of us need to join the church and become members? Some of us need to start going to that ABF class that will help us learn God's Word in a greater way. Some of us need to say, you know, I could help kids on Monday night. Maybe I should be a a listener in a one. You see, in light of this, it makes sense right now to plan in God's will. Let's ask Him to help us do that, shall we? bow together. Father, forgive our arrogant pride. Lord, convict us We so often act every day like we are the captain of our own ship. We think we have plenty of time. We see what the will of the Father is, but we set it aside. We ignore it. Oh God, forgive us for so many times that we have complained against you. When living in the center of the will of God is the greatest privilege that anyone could ever have. What a horrible sin it is to be doing the will of God and complaining about it at the same time. We confess to you, Lord, that as we look at these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, and and all about the tongue, and all about arguing and fighting, and all about lacking meekness, and and all about using our mouths in the wrong way, and, and all about planning our life as though somehow you were on the side of it, we, we confess that this is so much the way we are. 
We're so grateful for this center word that he gives more grace. How kind and and good you are, Lord. How gracious you are. In spite of these things that are so much a part of our hearts, you love us. You are patient with us. You teach us. And you encourage us along the path. And Father, today we just confess to you that we need your will. We want to be surrendered to it. And we don't want to live like many that are only concerned about the sins of commission, but never get around to dealing with the sins of omission. Lord, thank you for reminding us of that. We're coming, Lord, to the table of the Lord. We're going to enjoy a time of fellowship with you and with each other. We're going to be able, Lord, to confess our sins and know that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And Lord, for each and every one of us who came into this sanctuary today, There can be a new beginning as we walk out. How kind and loving you truly are. Lord, I pray for someone who does not know Jesus in a personal way, that they will come to know him today. May they not rest until they are sure that they are a member of the family of God through personal faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for somebody, Father, living in secrecy. They have something that is being covered up, and they know they need to face it and deal with it. I ask, O God, that you would help them to be open and honest, perhaps confess to a loving Christian friend, pastor, or counselor, who will come alongside of them and help them to find the freedom that God offers us in Christ. And I pray, Lord, for some of us who perhaps in this very next year will endure grief over the loss of loved ones. Help us to be sure that we are doing your will and setting the right example all around us. We thank you now, Lord, that it's all of grace, it's all of your goodness and love, and change our hearts and make us after your will. And we know someday we will hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. For Jesus' sake, For his glory, we pray.